Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of House Guest, the podcast about all things related to the House of the Good Shepherd, a retirement community in Hackettstown, New Jersey. I'm Sue Lanza, the CEO, and I'm joined today by my co-host, the Reverend Sean Cardi, who is our chaplain. Please enjoy. Well, hi, Sean. Hello, Sue. How are you today? I'm well. Here we are again. Here we are again. They, they can't get rid of us somehow. <laughs> so today, I know we wanted to talk about a very fascinating subject called the language of healthcare. Oh, one of my favorite subjects. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, as you know, I started here a year and a half, almost two years ago now, and quickly decided or noticed that there was a whole language that I did not speak when I got here. Oh, you poor thing. I know. I, well, and I will tell you that as a priest in the Episcopal Church, we have our own language, and which is, mm. which is befuddling to people. But when I started working here, my first experience of working in healthcare, suddenly there was this whole list of acronyms and terms and sort of code language that I, I realized I was not understanding. And so I'm curious to learn about more of it today. Well, you know, we like to keep it our own language so that no one else knows about it. You know how when kids are little and they have their own secret language and their own secret friends? Exactly. Well, that's that's kind of what we're talking about here. So, well, And one example I can give you from the church is, is I remember at one point hearing somebody say, I saw the junior warden talking with the sexton in the undercroft. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like the game of Clue. <laughs> what it means is somebody was talking to the custodian in the basement. Oh, But my churches gosh. have their own terms for these things, just as healthcare has its own set Sure, of sure. So kind of what we talk about this is saying, how do you navigate through all the jargon, all the abbreviations that – Poor people who have to encounter health care out of nowhere and under often times of stress. You know, someone's in the hospital and they need to go to a, you know, a health care facility and then they bombard them with all these terms and nobody knows what we're talking about. They really feel it. But I even know as you coming in as a new employee, we've had other people come in and weren't familiar with health care at all. And it's, it is like literally speaking some foreign language. So the first topic I thought of was we should talk about COVID a little bit. Mm, indeed. Yeah. Well, and so we're, we're in this podcast, we're actually turning the tables a little bit. I'm asking the questions and you're the one who's um, providing us the expertise. Well, yes, I know. I'm a little bit nervous about that because I don't know. Do I know the answers? What will happen if I don't? Will I the podcast just blow up or something? I suspect you will. So starting with COVID, any thoughts that you have, Sean? Well, what is the, the one acronym that everybody in the world now knows as oh, a result of COVID? Come on. You're going to make this that hard for me? No, I think I know this one. Well, no one before this, some of us in healthcare already knew this one, but the, the one that everybody seems to know now is PPE. Mm -hmm. And that stands for Personal Protective Equipment. And it, it, the reason we know it is if you try to go any place, you know that some places, depending on where you are in the world, are requiring masks, and that's a part of personal protective equipment. But there are lots of other things that fit into that category, depending on how much 
you need to protect. And that could be a gown. It could be gloves. It could be eyewear. It could be even booties on your shoes, any number of things, sometimes a face shield. And there's a whole process that we didn't even talk about at all, but donning and doffing. Now, who knew what the heck that was? But donning and doffing means how you put on all your PPE, and there's a certain methodology of how you doff it or take it off. And it's very important because how you do that means how you're controlling the potential exposure to an infection. So we have our own methodology. We have little diagrams and ways that we show everybody how to do this because it's very important to know. But the most important thing that people know PPE is face masks. And they do vary in the types that they are. There's what they call the N95. That is the one that healthcare workers often use that has, you know, certain protective properties. And there are cloth masks, which are probably on the lower level. And then in between is kind of a surgical mask, the blue things that everybody sees that people have used for years and years. But now everybody has a bunch of them in their car, ready to go at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And we now see them as trash all sorts of places, which breaks my heart. But I know. We've even seen them down by our river. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah. So it means somebody lost one somewhere and they're running around exposing people, I guess. I, I guess, yeah. Well, so. Now, the other thing with COVID, of course, is that we've learned a lot about testing in the last year and a half. And there are different kinds of tests, as I understand it, because as the employees here know, we get tested with some frequency. And it depends, of course, on whether we're in a situation where somebody has tested positive recently or not and whether we're getting a particular kind of test. So what can you tell us about those tests? Well, it's so funny because sometimes the family members will ask me and I think, oh my gosh, how do, how do I even have any of this information? <laughs> how did I learn these things? But there really are two types of tests. And the, the school of thought is that one maybe is a little bit better than the other, but there's a debate about that even as well. So the first one, the one that we do usually once a week here for our employees and our residents is called the PCR test. And I even had to look this up to make sure I had the right words. PCR stands for polymerase chain reaction, which is the type of test. And it's not just the type of test for COVID. This methodology is used for many other types of tests. And basically what they're testing for here is, is genetic material in the sample that comes from the virus. So they're looking to see if that is present. The other one that we use a lot, and this is the spot test that we do, we call the rapid swab that we might do for people, and it's called a POC. And the government sends us a lot of these. They sent them out when we were first doing some initial testing, and we have supplies we get regularly for this. And we also use it if vendors or other Healthcare professionals have to come in the building. So this is an antigen rapid test, and this detects the presence or absence of viral protein. And both of these cases, you know, the infectious disease people could go back and forth a million times on this to say, which is more effective. Sometimes we've had situations where somebody tests negative for a POC, you know, the rapid test but then a day later has symptoms and goes to the doctor, gets the PCR test, and is 
test positive. So there's still a lot of controversy about false positives, false negatives. So we just do the best we can and and hope it all comes out in the wash. Well, my understanding is that the PCR test is the more sensitive of the two. Yes. And I know that from personal experience, as you know well, because I did test positive. I know, you poor thing. Right in time for Christmas, which for a priest is not the best time to no, do that. No, we, we were very upset that you weren't here. But my uh, my experience with this uh, is, is both... Uh, from being here, but also just, you know, personally. And who would so. know that we would be such, quote unquote, experts on all this testing stuff, but we are literally testing, doing something every week, and we're tabulating numbers, we're reporting numbers, we're reporting everything, it seems. So this has become part of our normal life here. Yeah. So let's say that someone does test positive, whether it's the PCR or the POC test. What does that mean and what does that set in motion for us? Yes, that sets a whole chain of events in motion. So it goes into what we call outbreak. And an outbreak is really defined as one or more people who test positive. And there's certain criteria for it. But basically what it means is that we have to send that employee home, or if it's a resident, we have to do some isolation and set some other things in motion with what they call transmission-based precautions. So we have to make sure that there's no way that this is transmitting to other people. So we set up barriers and you know isolation techniques, and we put some different PPE, remember, personal protective mm-hmm. equipment in place. And the outbreak means that we have certain reporting requirements. We now have to stop certain activities in the facility. We have to notify different people. All the family members have to be notified, all the residents. There's a whole chain of events that takes place, but it's considered under the guise of an outbreak. And you don't come out of an outbreak until every resident and staff member, we go 28 days without a positive test. So sometimes that can be challenging. Thankfully, we've been lucky here. We haven't had you know, many, if any, um, resident positive tests. But the, the staff, you see, comes and goes, so there's more chances for exposure. So thankfully, um, it's been confined to that. But that is what an outbreak is. And, it, and an outbreak, I think most people would be surprised to find out, is just one person. I know. It's We really think of an hard. outbreak as, you know, dozens of people have been, you know, gotten food poisoning or yes, something like that. Yes, exactly. But in, in this case, because we're being so careful, the requirements are that way, just one person. Sure, sure. Yeah, I know. It is, it's a very low threshold, but because of the transmissibility of COVID and other diseases, this is why. It's because it can just go like wildfire if we don't deal with it right away. So when we are in an outbreak, uh, even if it's just one person, um, what does that change for us? What do we have to do? Um, Well, we do all the notifications that I mentioned. We have, there's daily reports that go to the Department of Health with numbers of tests, people who are waiting for test results, who tested positive, didn't test positive, whatever it may be. And we or break it up by the licenses that we have here. And we happen to have three licenses, skilled, assisted living, and CPC. So we have to report everything separately. But one of the most important things that we do, and we did this for each of the outbreaks, we had two other outbreaks, as many other facilities did. 
And, you know, you have to go 28 days before it concludes. But one of the things that we do that we must do is we do what's called a line listing. This is very typical in infection control methodologies. You basically are keeping a listing of when someone tested positive, what is their name, their age, where do they work, are they a staff member or are they a resident, what area do they live in. Uh, did they? Now we have new reporting requirements. Where we first started, we didn't have this, of course. Where now we say, were they vaccinated? When were they vaccinated? You know, did it just happen, or was it you know f- far from that? And if they're not vaccinated, that you know that has some implications as well. And it also talks about their symptoms that they have. There's a whole list of possible symptoms from a sore throat to. Uh, you know, feeling just tired, too hospitalized, including death is listed there if that happens. And also any kind of comments that are made. So in the case of us here, some people, if, if they've tested positive, we have to write down, you know, they tested positive. This is their third time. We've had a couple of employees who've had this exposure different times. So they the county gets sent this information, the health department county office, and then they have reporting requirements up to the New Jersey State Department of Health. And everything has to match up what we're sending in. We had one positive case, they match it up with that. And then from there, we start doing what they call contact tracing. And the contact tracing is trying to trace backwards 48 hours, let's say in the case of an employee testing positive, who were they potentially exposed to? Was it someone here? Was it a group of people? They were up on a floor serving people. So we need to know because we need to know what to do for those potentially exposed parties. In some cases, it's simple. The person wasn't anywhere in a resident area, and that makes life a lot simpler. And then we often find out, oh, they have a family member at home who tested positive for COVID. So we know the origin, and then we know that they didn't expose anyone else. So then that gives us our guidelines for how we have to craft the exposure level and potential uh, situations within the building to make sure everybody stays safe. Well, and again, I know this from personal experience because when I did test positive, it had an effect on family members of mine who work in healthcare. Um, suddenly they were uh, in a position of having been exposed because I had tested positive. Sure. Um, which brings us to the question of some terms that we use in this, one of which is quarantine and the other is isolation. Can you help clarify what those mean? Sure. So let's say we have someone who comes in from the hospital as a new admission and they are someone who is not vaccinated they would be put in what we would call isolation, meaning that we're going to put them in isolation where we're going to treat them as if they potentially could have this don and off the personal protective equipment. And we're going to make sure that they stay isolated from the rest of the population for a certain period of time. And our infectious disease guidelines tell us how much depending on their situation. Quarantine is a bit different. So the case I mentioned where a potential employee came up and maybe was on the wing or was in close interaction with a lot of the residents, then we would quarantine a whole unit of people and we would have to treat everybody as if they had the 
potential for the disease and use transmission-based precautions. Again, where we're making sure we're donning and doffing. We have uh, outside every room so that we can change out of things, going in, going in and out, uh, making sure that everybody's safe. So that's a little bit different. That means the residents really can't go off their unit. They can't go to group programs. They can't go down to church, which I know know you're (laughs) thinking about church, I I realize. And typically those, how long do those last? What's, and is there a difference between them? Um, There are, it it can last usually 14 days, but it depends. There's cases where, depending on how the exposure goes, it could be 10 days. So we, you know, everything changes so frequently. Even what I'm saying now, by the time somebody listens to this, there could be differences. So you have to take that into account forget to mention one thing. If somebody comes in from the hospital and we're not sure, we have to treat them as if they potentially have COVID, that's called a PUI. This is another one of those fun oh, yeah, little yeah, another acronym. Another acronym. Woo-hoo. What does PUI stand well, it, for? Well, I keep thinking it's person under the influence, but that's not correct. <laughs> like a DUI, Yeah, right? I know. I oh. keep thinking that. And I'm thinking, no, no, it's person under observation. Or you know they're they're actually looking at them and um, or is it investigation? Investigation. See, okay. I'm so glad you're here. Thank goodness for <laughs> so it's that. Person under, under investigation. investigation. So okay. same thing. Observation. So we're making sure that we just don't randomly bring somebody into the building and then just have them mixing around and then we find out, oops, a few days later because there's incubation periods and. Who knows where they could be in that period? And so. that's the thing that's so scary about the coronavirus is that you can be spreading it without having any symptoms. And that's why I think, as I understand it, it's been such a such a devastating disease because yes. other other diseases you have symptoms and you realize you want to, you know, keep yourself outside of a group and not you could feel perfectly fine as I did when I tested positive. I felt just fine. Right. I know it's it's so deceiving. You just don't know when it's happening. Every time we have somebody come up positive, everybody's in a state of shock. Like, well, I was just I just saw her. How could she be? And she doesn't have any symptoms. And so yeah, it's it's difficult. So if you were to sort of boil things down and pick the the most important thing that people need to do in terms of COVID and preventing just in it's spread of infectious disease generally. And I think I know the answer to this question. Let's but... hope you do. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say? It's hand washing, hand washing, hand washing. Yeah. yeah. And we call it hand hygiene because it's it's just making sure that you, you're washing your hands with soap and water. And it's for 20 seconds. According to the CDC, there's a whole lathering and process and turning off the faucets with a paper towel. You know, there's a whole process to it. And we do go over this with observation with our employees over and over and over again. And I can tell you from uh, my own experience that we take it very seriously. And I, I hope the listeners know that because it, yes. it really is important. It's, it's the thing, it's the single thing we can do to really prevent mm-hmm. and not just COVID, all sorts of other things. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's true. Important. And we can, and we also call it hand hygiene because it's not just hand washing, although hand washing is the preferred method. And there's certain times when you can't use the alcohol-based, um, you have to use hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. So, but that also counts as well. If you can't get to something, that's what you should use. Right. And as we know, there's, you know, 
little stations all up and down the hallways here. Um, and there's right. even one right outside the chapel. I can See? So. We're making sure you're safe. That's right. Well, anything else about COVID that we should talk about? Oh, my about? goodness. It's I a hope long not. List. <laughs> I hope not. That's just an overview of some of the terms. But I bet a lot of our listeners know these terms already. They read them, see them all the time in the news. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of House Guest, the podcast which is dedicated to all great things about the House of the Good Shepherd, a retirement community in Hackettstown, New Jersey. To learn more about us, please visit our website, hotgs.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time.